0: Well, it is uh, a new day, uh, Providence family, and I hope that you are well. I hope you've had a great week. Um, it has uh, now been a month, uh, a month uh, since you have been in this room. And uh, each time that I walk in the room, to be honest with you, it's still a little bit surreal what's happening. Uh, it's heartbreaking for so many people. We know that there are many people, even this morning, who are grieving the loss of a loved one. Uh, who are praying that God would save somebody uh, um, who is already sick. And uh, there's a lot of need in the world. And what God tells us is this, is that he allows and permits crisis. And he always does so with a redemptive purpose. And God is doing things in the world. There's many things that he's doing in the world that my eyes cannot see. In fact, what I see oftentimes more so than not are the things that I wish that he would change. I wish that he would eradicate the virus immediately. I wish that everybody who was sick would be made well. And yet what we do know is that through this is that he is showing himself strong to those who lean upon him. He is giving peace to people who are are anxious. He is opening up people's eyes to see how frail we are as people and our spiritual need before a holy God. And there are many people around the world who are trusting Christ as savior and Lord. We know that he is exposing, I know that he is exposing your faith and your hope and your love Uh, to a church family. I would simply tell you, I am so inspired by your generosity. I'm inspired by your faithfulness to share your faith with others. I'm inspired by how willing you are to help people in need and to share what you have with people who are in need. There's no doubt that this is exposing um, deep roots of faith and love in your heart. And I just want to commend you as a church family. You know, we... um, uh, also know though, that there's needs. And I just want you to know that if you have a physical need, if you have a need uh, that that uh, that that we as a a whole family of faith might might be able to meet, or if you're somebody who has your needs met, but you would be willing to help somebody who is in need, or if God has placed upon your heart and not only uh, the heart to do so, but He's also offered you the finances to do so, and if you would want to give to people who are in need, you can go to our website, pray.org. There's three buttons there, and we would invite you, if you have a need, if you can meet a need, or if you can give to help meet a need, that you would go there um, even this afternoon. Um, I also wanna say hi to all of our guests. Uh, I know that there's a lot of people who, uh, who are um, actually seeing this uh, either right now or perhaps in the days to come, and you're not a part of our church family. You may not even live in Raleigh. And I want you to know that we're glad that you're here. I hope that this time is encouraging to you. It may be that the uncertainty around us and maybe the fear within your heart is leading you to even consider spiritual things. Who is Christ? And many of you, you may not know Christ, the Savior and Lord. You may not know who He is, what He's claimed what he did claim while he was on the earth, what he accomplished while he was on the earth and what he's doing right now. And so I pray that even over the next few minutes, as we look at just a little bit of what he has done, and who he is and what he has accomplished for you and for me is that you will be inspired. And if you don't know Christ, my prayer is that within these moments that we are together, that you will trust Christ as your savior and Lord. So let me pray for us. Father in heaven, we look to you now. We believe that you are the sovereign one over heaven and earth. We believe, God, that your word is true and your words, Lord, tells us that you created the heavens and the earth, that you sustain all things by the power of your spoken word, that you love us and that you are merciful and that you are compassionate. Your word tells us that you are sovereign, that you work all things after the counsel of your will. God, we believe that your Bible is true. We believe that it is your word to us. And so I pray now, God, as we open it up, as we read a portion of it, and we try to understand what it says and what it means and how to apply it to our life. I pray God that you would give us understanding. I pray that you would pique our own curiosity as to what you have said and what it might mean for us even this week. And I pray in particular, Lord, as we look this morning at the idea of peace, the peace that Jesus makes available through a relationship with you, God, the Father. We we ask, I ask, God, that you would be gracious to us, that those who are far from you would be brought near, that those have a broken relationship with you would be reconciled, that those who have a close relationship with you would lean upon that relationship and would find peace within their heart. And so we look to you in faith. Would you speak through weakness? And God, would you do a miracle in all of the homes where there's children and where there's windows and where there's distractions and where there's noises? I pray, Father, that you would help us to focus on your word and help us to hear specifically from your big heart for us. We pray this in Jesus' name, amen. So I would ask you uh, there uh, in your little family room, if you would, in your Bible, uh, look with me at Luke chapter 23. We're gonna read uh, three verses, verses 44 through 46. And what we're doing is a series that's called The Seven. And were we to list all of the needs in the human heart and condense them down to the deepest and most significant of all, I believe that seven would remain, seven, And Jesus knows each of these seven because when he was on the cross in all of his agony and all of his pain, the Bible tells us that he opened up his mouth seven different times. He said seven different things each time making provision for one of our needs. And so we've looked at a number of them. We're on number six. And this morning, we wanna look at the idea of peace. You see, even when Jesus was on the cross and when he was experiencing pain in his own life, his own death, he was aware that we were gonna die and that that reality that sits over us, it erodes peace within our heart. None of us love to think about the day that we're going to die. But while he was on that cross, Jesus also understood that between this day and our final day on this earth, that we would experience literally a thousand or more little smaller deaths Deaths to our dreams, deaths to relationships. And each one of these would also shake our peace. Jesus knew that one day we would miss the game-winning shot. Uh, This actually happened to me. It's one of those memories that I look back on and it was the death of a dream. I know when I was a little kid, I used to think about hitting the game-winning shot when it mattered the most. And so my senior year in high school, Homecoming night, the gym was absolutely packed. We were down by one point with literally one second left. So they threw it up in the air and I grabbed it in the air and shot it while I was in the air, bounced twice off the rim and off. And suddenly there was a death of a dream. And that night it took away peace. Many of us have dreams, dreams for our life that have gone unfulfilled. And we know that many of those dreams are never going to come to pass. And Jesus knew that that would erode our peace. Many of us have experienced friendships that we thought now these relationships, whether it's a marriage or whether it's with our parent or a child or a close friend, that these relationships would give us peace. And suddenly those relationships were broken. And Jesus knew that that would erode our peace. He knew that we would experience things like rejection. He knew we would experience things like not getting the job or losing the job. He knew that we would experience the loss of money, that the markets would fall, that price of our own home might drop, that, that the finances that we have and the security that we feel in them, that one day in life is that those things would erode and with it, our peace. And Jesus knew some of us within our church family Jesus knew that we would one day hear a diagnosis of cancer and that that would erode peace. And for every single one of us right now, Jesus, God Almighty, he knew for certain that this pandemic would take place. This is not a surprise to him. And he knew that it would erode our peace. And so here on the cross, Jesus Christ, the Savior, not only died in our place in order to bring us back into a right relationship with the Father, But Jesus also modeled for us how to experience peace right in the middle of the storm. And so this is what he says, Luke chapter 23, starting in verse 44. It says, it was now about the sixth hour. Now the sixth hour is noon, okay? It was now about the sixth hour and there was darkness over the whole land until the ninth hour, that would be 3 p.m. And while the sun's light failed, And the curtain of the temple was torn in two. And then Jesus calling out with a loud voice said, Father, into your hands, I commit my spirit. And having said this, he breathed his last. And so this sixth saying from the cross that we wanna look at here, into your hands, Father, I commit my spirit. What does that mean? And not only what does it mean, But what I wanna show you here is specifically how Jesus spoke these words. And in doing so, he modeled for us that on days of adversity, when we were in the middle of the storm, how do we actually experience the peace of God? The first thing we see that he does in these words is that Jesus rested in his father for peace. He rested in his father and in that relationship that he had with his father for peace. You see, in Mark's gospel, in Mark chapter 15, we're actually told that just moments before he said these words, he said different words. It was also the ninth hour, we're told in Mark chapter 15. And there it says that he felt alone. And then he cried out. And instead of saying, Father, Father, he said, my God, my God, why have you forsaken me? And what appears within the scriptures to be almost immediately after saying these words, that moments later, Jesus says, Father, into your hands, I commit my spirit. You see now, as Jesus looked for hands to be able to hold his spirit when he died, he didn't call him God. He didn't call him boss. He didn't call him Lord of heaven. He called him Father. No word could possibly give Jesus his followers more peace. You see, peace is what we have. It's what we experience. So it's, it's what we feel when we have adequate resource for the crisis at hand. You see, during a financial crash, when the markets plunge, it's the investor with cash in hand who feels a measure of peace. And during times of scarcity, when you go to the grocery store and you and you're hoping that there's gonna be product on the shelf and you look and there's literally nothing on the shelf. It's the family or the individual that has supplies at home that feels a measure of peace. the Bible says that in this life on this earth, it is the person who has a relationship with God the Father who feels peace. You see, throughout Jesus' ministry on the earth, when he was teaching people, he framed the entire Christian life around a relationship with God, the father. In fact, in Matthew's gospel alone, he mentions 35 different actions, whether it's prayer or fasting or giving. And he frames everything around our relationship with the father. Why do we give? Matthew 6, 6 says, because your father who sees in secret will reward you. He says, who do we pray for? Well, in Matthew chapter six, verse nine, he says, pray then like this, our father in heaven, hallowed be your name. Your kingdom come, your will be done on earth as it is in heaven. You continue to go through the scriptures and you find things like forgiveness. Why should we forgive one another when they have done such horrible things to us? Jesus says, this is why, because when you do, your heavenly father will also forgive you. Over and over what we find in the life of Jesus is him resting in his relationship with God the Father. And why this gives such peace is because God the Father has adequate resource. He's the one who has adequate strength. He's the one who has adequate wisdom. And when I mean adequate, what I mean is adequate for us. His wisdom, his strength, his love, they are literally infinite. And therefore in his infinite supply of everything that he is, he always has adequate supply for what we need. And this is why Jesus lived his life in such a measure of peace. If you think about all the stories where Jesus is with other individuals, they're all humans, and yet only one of them has a perfect relationship with the Father. Only one of them is so connected to him. And as a result of that, they go through different experiences, such as the storm and the sea, and all of them are absolutely terrified. And Jesus is at peace, sleeping. They wake him up. They're all terrified. And he says, where is your faith? When the food ran out, everybody was perplexed. And yet Jesus was at peace. When he said, we're going to Jerusalem. And when we get to Jerusalem, the son of man is going to be condemned. He's going to be delivered over. He's going to be scourged. He's going to be crucified. He looked at his disciples and they were all undone. And he said to them, my peace, I give to you. Where did Jesus have all this peace? Why did he have all of this peace? The reason is because Jesus experienced a perfect relationship with God, the father. He enjoyed peace. And I know that some of you, this very idea has to be a struggle within your own heart. And this is why, because you cannot imagine placing in one sentence, father and peace. Maybe your father wasn't a person of peace. Maybe his very presence in your life created the absence of peace. And so the very idea, the very notion of the fatherhood of God giving peace to life is something that may be very difficult for you to understand. And yet what you have in God is so different from any human father on the earth. And that is that you have the perfect display of every characteristic of what fatherhood should have been and will be forever and ever in heaven. You see, we're told within the scriptures that God has written upon our heart, his law. And that includes categories of fatherhood. And so we know that's written upon us that what a father should be. We could all sit in this room together and we could say, what should a father be? And we would come up with ideas that would be similar to each other. And the reason is because there's a law written upon our heart. We all know that God, or I should say that a father, a human father or the heavenly father should be a leader and a visionary. And that's precisely what the Bible says of a father is that a father would look And he would put his arms around us. And he would say, now, do you see that mountain peak over there? This is where we're going. Let me give you a vision of what life could be like as we we actually get there. And sure, there's lots of hills that we have to cross. We have to go up and down and up and down. But do you see what it could be like, a visionary, but also a, a leader that would say, and I'm gonna walk with you until we get there. This is what a father is supposed to be. A father is also supposed to be a teacher and a mentor. The idea of a teacher is someone who imparts truth. A mentor is someone who imparts trust. And so a father is supposed to be one to us that says, this is how to do it. Now let me show you. We're told within the scriptures that a father is supposed to be a friend and a love giver. Somebody who wraps their arms around us, who encourages us, who comforts us, who, helps us when we're weak, somebody who gives love, somebody who's not rude, but somebody who's patient. And we also know that a father from scripture is supposed to be a protector and a defender, that they stand in front of harm that is coming towards their children. And you see, this is a description of God, the father, even though all of us on the earth, there's not a perfect father on this earth. And yet what we have in God the Father is somebody who is a perfect leader and visionary, a friend and love giver, a protector and defender, a teacher and a mentor. And this is why he gives such peace. But here's the problem. The problem is that even though it's true that resting in the Father who has adequate resources is the one that gives us peace, but the problem that we have is that we have all sinned against God the Father. We have all lived as though he were inconsequential. We all live as though his word and his instructions and his preferences of how we would live our life, that they were irrelevant to us, even though he created us and he created the world in which we live. We sinned and have sinned against a holy, perfect, righteous father. And that relationship is broken. And when the relationship is broken, there's an absence of peace. This is why we look the world over for towers of security. It's because we want peace, but peace only comes in a perfected form when we are close to God, our father. And the fact is, is we are told within the scriptures that God Almighty takes our sin personally, that he takes it seriously that his righteousness responds to sin with something called wrath. And the very idea of all of that is terrifying. And yet this is the amazing thing. His wrath is absolutely real. And yet his mercy is real as well. And this is what we're told in the Bible is that God Almighty put his son as a propitiation between us and his wrath. That that wrath fell upon him instead of us. You see, Jesus was actually on this cross. The only reason he was on this cross to get to the place where he would say the words, father into your hands, I commit my spirit is because the father was merciful. The father, instead of directing all of his wrath towards us, he directed it to his own son. You see, he was here on the earth to make peace. First Timothy chapter two, verse five says, for there is one God and there is one mediator between God and men. And it's the man, Christ Jesus. In other words, God is over here and all of his righteousness, all of his zeal for for righteousness. And man is over here in all of our sin. And Jesus comes in the middle as the mediator. And he takes upon his shoulders and within his heart, all of our sin. And he takes all of the father's wrath and taking both, he then takes our hands and he connects us together. He becomes our mediator. Our reconciler. And so, my encouragement to you, in particular for those of you who have never done so in your life, I encourage you today, even right now, to trust Christ and be reconciled to your Father. Jesus did eventually die. We read it that he gave up his spirit, he died on that cross in order to pay the penalty of our sin. He was buried in a grave and he rose from the dead. And when he did, he rose with an invitation that we would not only receive him, but believe upon him. And this is the promise we find in John chapter one, verse 12. It says that to all who did receive him, who believed in his name, he gave the right to become children of God. You see it? Where God, the father becomes our father. See, for everyone who trusts in Jesus, the son, he reconciles us back into a relationship with the father. And now being in a relationship with the Father, someone who has perfect resources, perfect wisdom, perfect strength, is that we can find peace in the day of adversity. My question is this, have you trusted Christ? Have you placed your personal faith in him? The Bible says we do this by admitting that we have a need, by looking at Jesus and saying, you're strong enough to meet my need that your death on the cross and your resurrection from the grave proves that you have power over sin and death. And I trust you and I confess you as Lord of all. And I simply wanna give those of you who have never had that opportunity, who have never trusted Christ and who want to an opportunity to do that right now. So right there in your living room, for those of you who know Christ as savior, would you just pray? Pray literally for the hundreds and even thousands of people who are listening to this right now. Pray for them now. And for those of you who would want to trust Christ, then you pray to God. You could pray something like this. Father in heaven, I believe. I admit that I am a sinner. I admit that I have lived as though you were inconsequential. I have looked at your word as irrelevant. I have not given preference to your preferences. And I confess that I'm a sinner. There's nothing that I can do to take that sin away. But I believe in Jesus who came, who died, who rose again. I confess him as the Lord of my life. Would you forgive me? Would you give me his righteousness as you have promised? And would you adopt me into your family? so that Jesus, your father, would become my father. I pray this in Christ's name, amen. I want you to know that if you just prayed to receive Christ, it's the most significant thing that will ever happen before you die. And it is the thing that will give you peace every day of your life and even on your last day. And we wanna be able to celebrate with you. So if you trusted Christ or if you would love to begin or even be interested in beginning a conversation about Jesus Christ with us, would you send a text? Just text PBC1 at 313131. And we would love to be able to talk with you. So the first thing we see here is that Jesus rested in his father for peace, but it gets better. The second thing is this, is that Jesus rested in his father's sovereignty for peace. You notice the words he says, into your hands, into your hands, I commit. The word commit literally means to entrust something of value to somebody else. And here Jesus says, into your hands, I commit my spirit. He's about to die. He knows it. He's about to breathe his last. And he said, Father, here is my spirit. It makes me wonder how many times in his early morning prayers did Jesus have to pray, Father, I trust you. I trust you again. He gets tempted for 40 days, no water, no bread, no food. And he says, Father, I trust you. He's rejected by his own family. He's rejected in his own hometown. He's rejected by by all of the authorities. Maybe each of those mornings, he had to wake up the next day and say, Father, I trust you. We finally get into the garden, the garden when he's praying before he's arrested. And there he says, in other words, I trust you. He says, father, if you're willing, remove this cup from me, but nevertheless, not my will, but yours be done. You see what he's saying? He's saying, father, I trust you. You see for hours, sinful hands have been doing all kinds of things to Jesus. Sinful hands have bound Jesus and sinful hands have slapped Jesus and sinful hands have humiliated Jesus and sinful hands have blindfolded Jesus and sinful hands have literally shot into the air as fist as their mouth cried, crucify Jesus. Sinful hands have held the whips that have scourged Jesus. Sinful hands have crowned Jesus and pushed down the thorns upon his brow. Sinful hands, merciless hands crucified Jesus by nailing him to the cross. But the Bible says here that there were other hands at work, that there weren't just merciless, sinful hands. There were also sovereign hands, merciful hands, holy hands also at work. Acts chapter four says this, it says, in the city, they were gathered together against your holy servant, Jesus, whom you appointed both Herod and Pilate, along with the Gentiles and the peoples of Israel to do whatever your hand and your plan had predestined to take place. You see, Jesus Christ knew what the Old Testament said about this moment, that Isaiah 53 verse 10 says this, of the father, it is the will of the Lord to crush him. Jesus knew, Jesus knew the prophecy was that God, the father would crush him, his own hands, that he would literally use the merciless, evil, sinful hands of humanity in order to crush his own son in order to save humanity. And in this moment, Jesus kept saying, I trust you. I trust your hands. When Jesus was arrested the night before, do you remember what he said? Luke 22, verse 53 says, this is your hour and the power of darkness. But let me ask you a few questions. Whose hands give Satan an hour? It's God the Father. And whose hands limit Satan during that hour? God the Father. And whose hands in this moment blinded the sun for three hours? Well, it's God the Father. And whose hands tore the curtain in the temple from top to bottom? Well, it's God the Father. And so here in the end, as the eternal Christ prepared to die, he quotes Psalm 31, verse five. that says, into your hands, I commit my spirit in order to tell his father, even in this, I trust you. I trust your hands. And if you know Christ, the good news is that we can do the same. And so let me encourage you on the basis of what Jesus demonstrated for us Let's rest in the sovereignty of God. Even during this season of life. You see, I know that these days are are uncertain days. These These are hard days. These are bitter days. People are dying in these days. And this is when a biblical view of God matters most. Not to make up something about God to make us feel better. But to actually look within the Bible, that is the perfect revelation of who he actually is, who he said he actually is, what he accomplishes and what he does. And say, even if I don't understand it, I am going to rest in what I read. You see, many of us, we struggle with the sovereignty of God God in days like this. Passages such as Isaiah 45, verse seven, that says, God says this, I make well-being and I create calamity. I am the Lord. It goes on and he says, and I am the one who who actually does all of these things. Oh, we struggle so much with this. But let me tell you something, if we reject his sovereignty in an attempt to buoy our hope in his goodness that would not allow pain to take place in his children, we actually undercut our hope by assigning sovereignty to something else. If God is not sovereign now, the virus is. But I want you to know God is not in the shadows trembling at the thought of this virus. You see, we hope in God. That's who we are. It's the people on the earth, it's Christians. We're a people who hope in God. We hope in God who is sovereign to heal. I pray that God eradicates the virus every day. I pray that he heals people who are sick every day. And if he does not, then we as the people of God hope in God who works all things according to the counsel of his will. Not some things, all things. This virus is not sovereign. And Satan is not sovereign. And the government is not sovereign. And some virus that will eventually be some medicine that helps, that medicine is not sovereign. God is sovereign. He works all things according to the counsel of his will. You see, God does nothing and permits nothing. And I mean nothing. Job loss, market decline, break up with your girlfriend, miss the last second shot. Nothing without purposes to glorify the son of God and save people. And so as providence, let me encourage us to rest in the sovereignty of God, even during days when we cannot explain. The last thing I wanna encourage you with here today is we see that Jesus leaned on his father's mercy for peace. When he prayed, Father, into your hands, I commit my spirit. There's a sense of affection in that sentence. There's a sense of love. Those words are not the hardest words that he has spoken. There's there's tenderness, there's trust. It's all packed into that little sentence. You see, I believe we will not be inclined to rest in his sovereignty if we fail to see his mercy. He asked the question, why the darkness? Why was the sky dark for three hours? Well, we might look at it and go, well, clearly it was because of judgment. And I would say, well, that's probably the case. But was not God also clothing his entire world in the color of his own grief? And why was the curtain torn? You say, well, it's because the Bible says that he was proving that we now have access to come into his presence. And that is absolutely the case. But was not also not representative of the rending of his own heart when he looked at his own son being crushed by his sovereign hands and by sinful hands of people. You see, he is merciful and kind. And so when you come to the last day of your life, Or when you come to a day in your life when you experience one of those smaller deaths of a dream or a friendship that erodes your peace, know that as a father shows compassion to his children, so the Lord shows compassion to those who fear him. The words into your hands lead me to believe that Jesus in all of the pain and all of the agony and maybe even in all of the uncertainty felt a measure of peace. You see, he didn't say into the grave, I commit my spirit. He didn't say into heaven or into the dark unknown. He says, Father, into your hands, the hands that I trust. So I think of this picture and I think perhaps, perhaps Jesus' final breath It may not be entirely like this, but perhaps that there was some truth to it that it felt like a child falling asleep in his dad's arms. And so let me encourage those of us who have trusted Jesus, the Savior and Lord, to run to God's mercy when we are afraid. Oh, he is sovereign. And he has the authority and the power to create calamity. I don't know if that's what's happening in the world. I I don't have those answers. Nobody has those answers. But during these days, let me encourage you to transfer whatever energy that you spend worrying about your life or your future or your security and take all of that energy and transfer it to prayer. And I want you to know that your prayers and my prayers, that they do not have to be free of fear or frustration for God to hear them and to respond to them. He loves to hear us when we talk to him. You don't have to understand everything that's happening in the world And you don't have to like everything that you do understand to continue to pray and to fix your eyes upon him. But the good news, Providence family, is that curtain was torn. We do have access. In Hebrews chapter four says, for we do not have a high priest who is unable to sympathize with our weaknesses, but one who in every respect has been tempted as we are, yet was without sin. Let us then with confidence draw near to the throne of grace that we may receive mercy, and find grace to help in time of need. Providence family, I want you to know that God in all of his sovereignty and strength, that his hands are trustworthy and they are open to you and they are open to me today. And so in all of the activity of how you're gonna try to exhaust 24 hours in a day, give God some of those moments. Give God some of that time. Find your peace in your Father. So let me pray. Father in heaven, we love you. We thank you for your kindness that moves in our life, that leads us to repent. And I pray, Father, that as we are, Lord, as as we look into the world and we see things we do not understand, and we look at your word and we see that you have all authority, that you are good at heart, you know everything. God, we cannot understand everything as it works together, but we as a people, we say, God, we trust you. God, I believe with all of my heart that if you, in all of your sovereignty and all of your strength, would be willing, Lord, to crush your own son to bring us to salvation, then it proves that you have the power to bring salvation out of suffering. And so I pray that in our lives and in, the, in our country and in, in the whole world, God, that you would do miracles of grace. Again, I ask, would you eradicate the virus with your authority? Would you heal those who are sick? But God, I pray that you would draw people unto yourself, accomplish every purpose that you have for allowing this to take place. We look to you in faith and we sing to you now with a full heart trusting you. And we pray this in Jesus' name. Amen.